Hey, everybody, welcome to this week's sermon. So the New York Times Sunday business section has a, an advice column uh, about workplace issues. And I usually read it to you know, glean a few things and uh, kind of compare the secular world to the religious world. And this last week, uh, someone wrote in, and their issue was that they had been in a terrible work environment. Now they had transitioned to a new work environment that at the moment is still all remote. And they really like it. Their boss is super supportive. But after they'll have like a Zoom staff meeting, then the boss will call um, this person up on the phone and kind of unpack the meeting and, and get their input, get the person's input on things. And, and the person who was writing in said, how, how can I get my boss to stop doing this? All of this could be done by email. Why does she keep calling me all the time? Now, this is the New York Times, and so they're usually super attentive to language issues, boundary issues. So I was a little surprised when the advice columnist uh, came down pretty hard on the person who wrote this in and said, and, and basically said back to it, I don't really understand the problem you see here. Is this really a boundary issue? Isn't it that your boss is interested in your opinion? Most people would kind of appreciate that. And your personal style may be to communicate in writing, but... To, to, to communicate by phone is certainly not an illegitimate way of communicating. Don't let this become an obstacle for you in the workplace. So I thought that, that was kind of an interesting thing, and I thought, there, I thought of what a chasm there was between the person who wrote that, because they had a lot of energy in what they wrote, and, and the boss, who maybe is aware or not aware of that. And, and maybe that's... Uh, gender-based, maybe it's age-based. Certainly my older generation is more likely to call than younger generations. Uh, who knows what created the chasm, but there certainly appeared to be one. Chasms. I kind of love the word chasm. To me, it's very evocative. It's like uh, walking up to the edge of, of a cliff and the, and the rocks start going down, but you're still on solid ground and you kind of peer over and you can't see the bottom and maybe you even call down and and you expect your voice to echo back but it never does it's like there's no bottom to any of it and and as if you fell in it would be like that feeling at night where like nothing's there to catch you that's a chasm there are a lot of chasms in our world and we'll return to that because it's a word that Jesus uses in today's gospel lesson. So let's, let's take a little closer look at this gospel lesson. It's from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Uh, it's usually called the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I think in all of literature, not just biblical literature, this has got to be one of the greatest short, short stories there is. It is evocative. It is detailed. It, 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 it gets at so many different things in life. I mean, it's just brilliant storytelling by Jesus. So let's appreciate the story and then apply it to our world and our lives. So first, appreciating the story. Uh, Jesus tells the story of a rich man, and he couldn't be richer. He feasts sumptuously, I love that word, and he wears purple robes, which means he's ultra-rich, top-tier. Uh, outside his house lies a man who's as poor as you can possibly be. He just hopes for scraps from the rich man's table, and, and he's in such poor health that the dogs come and lick his sores. He couldn't be poorer. The other guy couldn't be richer. Now, this might seem to be a storytelling mistake by Jesus because most storytellers want you to identify with the characters in the story. But in this case, who do you identify with? I mean, for the most part, none of us are a 
poor as Lazarus or as rich as the rich man, neither one of them is an easy one for us to identify with. But Jesus has not made a storytelling mistake. It's just an indication that he's using exaggeration, as he so often does, to create, the, to create kind of the spectrum of possibilities, but he is aiming us at something closer to home. Now, that gets us to all the details that he includes in this story. Uh, the, the, the rich man uh, dies and is buried, and that's all that's said. Meanwhile, Lazarus dies, and he's carried by the angels into heaven, and literally in the Greek, he's placed in, in Abraham's lap. And remember, Abraham is the father of the Jewish people, uh, and, and so for the story told into a Jewish context, there would be no better place to be in eternity. You might say, well, what about God's lap? But in, in that world, that would have been sacrilegious, so... Abraham was the next best thing. That's where Lazarus gets placed. The story continues. Um, they're separated by this chasm, but somehow the, the rich man can talk to the poor man in eternity. The rich man is in hell. He's, he's tormented by fire and flames. I, I often wonder if the, if the gospel had been written in Norway, would hell be a freezing place? In other words, you know, the Bible's written in this arid, dry place, and so that's what hell is. Maybe in Norway would, it would be different. Um, if, if you're an extrovert, uh, it is hell this place where nobody talks to you? If, if you're someone who does things with your hands and is always active, is hell this place where you are strapped down to your desk 24-7? Is, is hell, if you're a Bears fan, losing game after game to the Packers? Oh, wait. I won't even go into that any further. Sorry, Bears fans, to even bring it up. Anyhow, I, I, I do kind of wonder at some level if, if, as we conceptualize what hell is, if it isn't just what is the worst about uh, what we might fear in life. In any event, that's where the rich man is. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that he still thinks that he can call the shots. And so he says to Abraham, hey, just, just send uh, Lazarus down here with some cool water to, to cool my tongue. And the thing is, he can't call the shots anymore. And, and Abraham rather gently says to him, you know, there's this chasm. Nobody can cross it. So then he still thinks he can call the shots. And, and he says, well, then, then send him to my brothers so that they can avoid this place of torment. And now we've kind of gotten through all the details of the story. And now we are to its conclusion. And this is what Jesus is driving us to as he tells the story. And, and there are two things that are, that are striking about where he drives us. The first thing he, he says through the mouth of Abraham is, you know, they have Moses and the prophets to listen to. And, and Jesus, I think, says that because he infers when he says that, that that's just like a slam dunk. Like, if you just read Moses and the prophets, it would be self-evident that if someone is in need, you should help them, that if you're super blessed in life, you should make use of it on behalf of others and the world. There's not even a question about this. It's so obvious. Just read Moses and the prophets. But of course, the rich man voices what so many of us might voice, which is, well, yeah, we maybe didn't have time to read Moses and the prophets, but if somebody came back from the dead and told them, then they'd listen. So he has five brothers, right? He makes six. So a half dozen chances to get it right, to listen to Moses and the prophets. And the way Jesus tells the story, not one of them is going to get it right. 
And it's, it's really a sad ending because at some level you get the sense that Jesus is aware of his destiny of both that cross and resurrection to follow. He's going to be the one who rises from the dead. But he understands that just because you rise from the dead doesn't mean that anybody is going to actually listen to you. Are we listening to what he says in today's parable? I mean, it couldn't be clearer. Do we just walk past people in, in need? And of course, there are all sorts of different types of needs. And you can walk past you know, somebody on the streets, but you can also walk past somebody in your own home. Um, and, and if we're blessed, do we kind of parcel out those blessings, or are we ridiculously generous with them? This is what Jesus is talking about. You know, with parables, one of the things that's always important to know is there are two types. One's about God, one's about us. The one's about God, like the, the parable of the prodigal son. The father figure in that story is, is, is God and is loving and gracious and merciful. Uh, that's, that's who God is. But then the other type of parable Jesus tells us is about us. And they're like today's parable. They can frequently be super challenging. Because just because God is loving doesn't mean that we should just like become complacent and do nothing. Jesus wants us to be accountable. And so he constantly challenges us with stories like this one. So how are you gonna how are you gonna how do any of us work with this story this week? Because it is hard. It doesn't, you know, those two extremes don't immediately uh, fit any of our lives. So I, I would say these are the two points of 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 work, maybe just for me, maybe for you too. Uh, so the first one is this. Uh, maybe you'll disagree, but I think most pastors would agree that most people really want to uh, share and give something of themselves. And I, and I think the proof of that, though there are plenty of exceptions to that, but I think the proof of that in general is a stat that we've often cited, which is the people who give the greatest percentage of their income in this country are, are people who learn, earn less than the median household income, people who learn, earn less than $50,000 a year. They give more as a percentage than anybody until you are earning over $5 million a year. And the thing about that is, I, I don't know that, that uh, low-income people are, are inherently more generous or that poverty teaches them to share. <laughs> I, I think what's actually happening there is that uh, when your income is lower, most of the time, you just have to pay the bills. You have to pay for the, for the, the rent, you have to pay for the car, you have to pay for the food, and then you don't have anything left. But that, every once in a while, you do have a little something left. And, then, and then, then people want to be able to share as if they were like anybody else. And, and so those at lower income levels are, are sure to do that. I think the problem as we work our way up the income levels is that we want to share too. But a lot of obstacles get in the way. We kind of want to hold on to it. Or we're complacent. We figure we'll do it some other time. Uh, or, or we want to kind of control where it goes. And, and so step one for any of us this week is, is I think just be aware of your, of your natural inclination to share. And, and don't find reasons to put that off or, or to, to um, uh, wait for the perfect opportunity. Uh, live into your identity as someone who wants to share. And then I think the other thing is, is just don't be, the, don't be the rich man. Don't think you can still push people around and control other people, even if you could. Um, don't, don't ignore the need that's right in front of you. I think one of the, the sad things in, in our relationships is that 
is that this story understands chasms, you know, that they exist all over the place. And, and so often in, in a relationship or in a workplace like the opening story, all people want is a little, like, affirmation or in a relationship affection uh, or a little bit of, of agreement on something. And, and they, they can't give it to each other because this chasm has developed and, and the people who should have been the best of friends or who were in the deepest of love, they, they can't cross the chasm. And, and the thing about Jesus in, in the Gospels is he, he's the ultimate bridge builder. You know, he, he touches the lepers and, and he lets the unclean woman anoint him with oil and, and he, he embraces the children in his arms. In other words, what is impossible for us sometimes to cross all these chasms, Jesus, Jesus jumps them with ease and builds the bridge. And, and, he, and he gives us the spiritual tools to do the same, to not, in a sense, be afraid of the chasm though it may be very real and very deep, but instead to approach it as something that, of course, it can be bridged by a person of spirit and faith and love. And today is the day to start building the bridge. Build some bridges this week, people of God. And, and, and be your natural self, someone who wants to and is willing and able and timely and sharing. Parables. They're about God who is love, and they're meant to challenge you and I. And, and so take this great story to heart this week, and, and rather than perhaps push it away a little bit, it's, it's too demanding. Instead, understand it as the gospel good news it is. Jesus loves you and I enough to be honest with us. And so he tells us something that challenges us. And at the end of the day, just... Look up to heaven and say, thank you, God, for telling me a really good story.